Hi there. I am so excited to invite you to attend our fourth annual free virtual special education and advocacy conference. We are hosting it here at Ashley Barlow Company in partnership with Rebecca Poe Teaching. And we are so excited for a few new things at this year's conference. The first new thing is that we have not just one, but two different tracks for attendance. For the first time ever, we have created a track that is specific for school staff and teachers. We also still have that traditional track that we intend to be really great for parents and caregivers in the IEP arena. So yes, we have a teacher track and a parent track. On that teacher track, you are going to learn about things like easier data collection, gestalt language processing, behavior reading, and other super hot topics in special education practice, as well as advocacy. On the teacher and caregiver track, you're going to learn about stress management for caregivers using adaptive books, something that I have really kind of um, dove into here at my own house, inclusion advocacy, advocacy strategies, and so, so much more. That free ticket will give you one pass, one access to one presentation per hour on the track that you choose, either that teacher track or the parent track. Of course, if you are not available on January 19th or January 20th when the conference is taking place, you can buy tickets to access the conference on demand. And those tickets, of course, are available at our website, ashleybarlowco.com backslash conference slash 2024. Check out the website for more information about ticketing. This year, we also have something super exciting planned. We have decided to make this a two-day event. When I partnered with Rebecca Poe Teaching, I told her that I really feel like school districts, disability organizations, and other community organizations need to start providing trainings that are accessible to teachers, related service providers, administrators, parents and caregivers, and other community members that are interested in IEP support. What if we all attended the same training? What if we all learned information about special education practice, curriculum, how to read evaluations, that kind of stuff, about special education advocacy, how we can collaborate more, how we can work together, and even about special education laws. What if we all attended those presentations and we workshopped them together? So together with Rebecca Poteaching, I have created the Empowered Workshop Series, and we are excited to bring it to your organization or school in 2024 and beyond. If you are interested in having Rebecca and I bring a workshop to you, you can see a preview of the Empowered Workshops on January 19th, the Friday before our main conference programming. For more information about that, either send me a DM or check out the website, again, ashleybarlowco.com backslash conference dash 2024. We hope to see you January 19th and or January 20th and can't wait to connect with you. Hi everyone, welcome to the Ashley Barlow Company Podcast. I'm Ashley Barlow, your host. If you are a parent, 
A teacher or someone who works at a school, or you're a community member, a volunteer or a staff member at an organization that supports people with special education plans, a coach, a tutor, or even a grandparent, you're in the right place. Sit back with an ice cold glass of lemonade, put on your walking shoes and grab some headphones, roll down the windows and cruise. Ready, set, go. Educate, advocate, collaborate. Welcome back to the Special Education Advocacy Podcast with Ashley Barlow. I'm Ashley Barlow, and I'm so happy you're here. Boy, was I excited to record this episode, and I am so excited to share it with you. Rachel Schwartz actually reached out to me and said, if you are looking for podcast guests, I would love to be on your podcast and to share some information about supporting children behaviorally with your audience. I jumped on that because I know how much you like hearing about behavior and I know how much help you need. When Rachel and I were talking, kind of planning what we were going to talk about, we talked about the word respect, respecting the child as we develop behavior strategies. I actually wrote down respectful discipline and when we hopped back on right before we hit record on this, I said, Rachel, Discipline is so different than behavior supports. And I don't know why I wrote it down because I was like, oh gosh, I hope she isn't talking about discipline. And sure enough, she came through for us and she really went back to supporting a child behaviorally. I was a little nervous when I had a note that said respectful discipline. In today's podcast, you're going to hear from Rachel Schwartz about behavior supports. Rachel is a BCBA. She also has a PhD in special education. If you're an advocate or if you've been in this long enough, you probably at one point have had a craving to go out and get a different degree. Like maybe they know something that I don't know. Maybe I should study this. Maybe I should do more. And that's what Rachel continues to do. She continues to get more and more information so that she can help the students that she supports behaviorally. She works independently with students and also with school districts, and she is so, so wise about behavior. I can't wait for you to listen to today's episode. Hi, Rachel. Hi, how are you? I'm great. Thank you. How are you? Doing well, thanks. Doing well. Good, good, good. I'm so happy to have you on the podcast today. I, one of the things that we talked about when we did kind of like a little pre-recording just really kind of jazzed me up for talking to you. (laughs) We're going to dive into that. You know, behavior is something that I oftentimes really dive into as I support my own child and Mm -hmm. certainly something that I, um, you know, work a lot with clients on as they support their children. So I know it's always something that people are looking for. Um, (laughs) Why don't we start? little introduction. Tell us what you do and why you do it. Sure. All right. Um, I'm Rachel Schwartz. What I do, I'm a behavior analyst. So a BCBA. I'm um, a trained special educator. I uh, am a consultant and a trainer and a little bit of a researcher back from the old PhD time when that's what you do in that kind of program. Um, why do I do it? So I started in the field, actually, you know, way back when I was in high school, middle school and high school, my mom was a social worker and she ran social skills groups uh, for kids with autism. And I would go there 
with her and be a peer. And then just, so that was a sort of intro into this world. When I got into college, I worked for a res, a group home. And then I started working for, I was in North Carolina, the Autism Society of North Carolina, great, great programs. And I just never left it. I just kind of kept moving into, I was really in the recreation and leisure world, which is about building social skills. I was developing programs, um, adult programs, going out to eat, garden programs, all sorts of things. I mean, it was awesome, you know, really focusing on just what do we do for fun? Um, and, and that was awesome. And I started there and then I felt I was focusing so much time on the after school and the sort of adult world nightlife, you know, how to make adults have fun essentially. And that I felt I was missing a bit of the, well, how do we get the skills? How do we actually get them? I was running a cooking classes for adults. I just kept thinking to myself, like, how do I really teach this though? Like we're trying to go through this recipe and I don't think I know how to do that component. And so I ended up going to school for special education. And I also went to school for my apply for applied behavioral analysis. So that's how I got the, the special education teaching certification and became a BCBA. You know, so I'm in the education world. And from there, I then uh, really focus specifically on the behavioral path. The reason for that is just most often the kids who are struggling the most, who have the most difficult time learning, have the most difficult time in schools and in programs were the kids with interfering behaviors, which we know now impacts basically all aspects of their lives and their ability to be in inclusive settings and to transition independently into more, uh, more community-based settings. So I really ended up focusing on how do we help kids interfering behaviors in adults. I, I really love the transition in adult world. So I began being a clinical supervisor in this way. I also focused, so, and, and that kind of carried me through, through more education, through a PhD, um, into what I do now, which is consultation for that across the age lifespan. Um, I also, I do a lot with parent and parent education. I also do a lot with sexuality education for individuals with disabilities, thinking about, and um, parent education in that as well, just thinking about the broad quality of life. How can we create a more richer, fulfilling life for all individuals? And so it's kind of this interesting combination of, of interfering behaviors, talking about behavior plan, planning and programming in schools and in adulthood and transition. And then also this really fun piece of, okay, now that we've got the interfering behaviors sort of you know, where we want them you know, under control, we're building all these skills. Now let's have a great talk about relationships and sex with everyone. So it's a, it's a really fun combination. <laughs> That's true. But when we had our little pre-chat um, that you know somebody that does a lot of good work in that area, you're from the greater Cincinnati area, TJ Nestidy. So shout out to TJ. Yes, there's some, um, yeah, there's a really great community out there. And I feel like this particular area has reached a lot of attention. And um, I'm do I have some interesting projects under the way in terms of, of that sort of segment of what I do and what I love. So yeah. yeah, anyhow, that's a little bit of my journey about me. You know, I think what's cool about your journey is that so many of us in the disability community are like, I can't figure this out. So I'm gonna like go to school and figure it out. And then 
somehow you end up with like a BCBA, a degree in special ed, a PhD, like, and, and the cool thing is, right, we still don't know all the answers. And, and maybe it's our personalities that we're always looking for answers. And, and even if we find all the answers, we're going to still ask more questions. Um, but I think that's neat that that was the path that you took, right? You do, do you have all the answers, Rachel? Oh, gosh, I actually just felt yesterday I was in a meeting and someone said, well, something like, well, just bring them to me. I have this. I'll, I'll take care of it. And I remember just looking and thinking like, how can you possibly feel that way? Like, I'll just take care of it. Or because that idea of like, I know what to do. Because if you feel that way, I just feel like you must not know what to do. <laughs> like you, you should approach every situation with such um, like the curiosity and the thought of like, okay, let's really analyze this. Because if you think you know what you're doing, you're not probably going to be sitting there analyzing every aspect because you're just coming in guns blazing. I know exactly what to do. Well, I, I mean, I never walk in situations like that. I'm always kind of looking around thinking, all right, what are we going to do now? Let me sort of start the process. And I, and I feel like while some people might have that, I know exactly how to walk into this. I think I'm comfortable being a little bit cautious and curious. And I think that's, you know, one of the keys to, to behavior analysis, right? Yeah. So let's talk about um, kind of the way that beha behavior analysis works for you. So a parent comes in and needs consult or an organization yeah. or comes in and needs a consult and they say, we're seeing this, right? So we're seeing this, um, you know, whatever the behavior is, or maybe they've even gotten a little bit towards the function of the behavior, or maybe there's kind of a mental health um, component that's underlying to the behavior or whatever. Um, so how do you approach that when they come in? Because, um, you know, you just set yourself up for, well, I don't say, oh, function is escape, then we do this, right? So right. let's talk about how you explore it and how you really treat behavior as something that we have to analyze. Right. Okay. Big question. Um, so, you know, there, there's always the typical processes of, okay, great. You have all this, you're giving me this sort of your quick take. Let me go through the documentation. Let me go through all these prior records. You, you do a little bit of your background looking into what's been going on. How long has this been going on? If I'm looking at a high schooler and they say, Hey, this is going on and it's really, you know, it's growing in intensity. I might go all the way back, you know, to their kindergarten early intervention days to see like, has anything changed? What have we found out? What do we know? And use that as some starting points. Obviously I go in, I mean, I'm telling you a little bit about the process and I'll tell you a little bit more about the mindset. Um, you observe, you talk to people, you start figuring out what do I see? What do I think is happening as someone who's outside of this? And I think it's really important to sort of go on a tangent here about being an outsider to these situations because um, it's very, very difficult. You know, if you're a pro if you are working with that individual, if you're a teacher, if you're the parent, if you're someone who's just in it, sometimes it's it's hard to step out for a second and be able to look at what's happening around you. I mean, I can definitely say that as a parent, like you, know, you have a lens, you have an idea of what's going on. Um, and as a teacher, I think sometimes you you're sort of you're one of the variables we're analyzing. And so it's hard to step back. So it is important to have someone kind of come into it without that sort of pre-existing notion of, okay, this kid just wants to, you know, I get a lot of, they just don't want to do work. They just don't want this. They just want to, they want to escape. And so it's, I, I allow myself to sort of look around and cautiously begin to build some, some ideas about what I think is going on. 
the biggest thing for me is to sort of think about who is this individual? What are their, what's their history? What are their current expectations? What are the expectations we have for them in the next two years? You know, where do they want to be? What are we saying we want them to transition to? What does their family want? What are their priorities or their involvement? And then um, thinking about how all those expectations, do they match what we're seeing? Do they match the skills that they have? And that begins to start kind of thinking about the skill building and starting to address then, of course, you know, how do then we begin to build those skills and sort of reduce some of these interfering behaviors. Um, most of the time, I always just want to think about how do we build, how do we make this student feel as in control as possible? And that's sort of a weird thing for behavior analysts to think about <laughs> because yeah. most of the time they're like, we just need to diminish this behavior. You know, we're focusing on reducing this, you know, the head hitting, we're focusing on reducing the aggression. And of course we want that. But behavior reduction is such a small piece, actually. It's all about behavior skill building. And so it's all about what skills are we building? Do they match what the individual wants to do, can do? Is it matching actually who they are? You know, um, someone said something to this degree, and I always think about this when I come and consult, is I really want to respect a child's feet, their ability to move, their ability to sort of be autonomous beings in the classroom, yes. and um, give them, essentially, this is a collaborative learning experience. I'm going to teach you, and you're going to gain these skills. What I'm not going to do is tell you, I'm the person in charge, and you have to listen because that's the way it works, buddy. So sit in the chair and do it. I have never seen that be successful. I have seen that. I know I'm going on a huge answer here. Oh my! I have, <laughs> I have seen. So what I've seen with that mindset, and we can talk about my second, is I've seen that uh, I've seen kids be managed. So they'll be okay. So it might look. Everyone might be thinking, "Oh my goodness, this is great." They're finally doing their work. They're finally in control and, and they're doing pretty well. And so I've seen them be managed. Um, and then let's say they transition to a new school or a different classroom. And then you see that stuff start to pop up. And so what happens is they say, well, it's just, it's because of the school. It's because of the new teachers, because of this. And what I see is, oh, it's because we actually never changed their behaviors. We just managed them. So we kind of just like did the little bit of the submission and I know that's an extreme word but you know a little bit of okay hey. quiet down in here but then you're going to transition to this place and now you're punching everyone in the face well you didn't actually ever learn how to say hi or get away from me you know functional language of get out of my space I want to get out of here like you know, this is the yeah. stuff we need to start building well I say that all the time because my little guy has um down syndrome and he is um and he has adhd and he is very impulsive he um now is prepubescent and he has some anxiety mm -hmm. um you know we have tried to have at any throughout the course of his life we've tried four different behaviorists and a few different um counselors psychologists and they all with one exception where we are now have tried to kind of force him into compliance but what when I started clapping before is because you talked about how um, that isn't true to 
him. He isn't naturally a super compliant person. And guess what? That's okay. I am not a super compliant. Mm -hmm. Compliance is a dirty word as far as I'm concerned. Right. Yes, of course. I know I have to pay the parking meter, but guess what? If I get a parking ticket because I haven't paid a parking meter because I haven't gone out to feed the meter because I'm 10 minutes over time and I'm at the courthouse waiting in line or something, I'm like, well, I probably was do a parking ticket because that happens like 10 times a year. And and that's not to say that I have some kind of bad soul or something and that I should be forced into submitting to that system. And so I like I love what you're saying about really being true to the person because then what we do is we treat each person as an individual and we really look at their interests and their personalities, right? Yeah. And I think with that too, I mean sometimes and I'm speaking to schools, but this is any program. It's going to be adults. This is what I mentioned. You know, we, uh, kids say no. Hey, it's, uh, it's time to sit down for lunch. You've got to sit and do this work. You've got to go over here. No, no, um, no, it's time to do it. Remember, here's your schedule. You know, we kind of start getting into this. And it's funny because I always, when a kid says no inside, I'm like, way to go. You know, way to say no, because it's such an important skill to have such a sense of self that you feel like you can re- say no to something that you will use your technology to say, I want to go here instead. That That's great to me. Now, do sometimes we have to do things we don't want to do always, you know, but building, right. listening to that no saying, okay, all right, well, you know, here's the situation. If we don't do this, then these other things aren't happening yet. So there, there are a little bit of balance to this and building tolerance is way easier once you sort of have some trust and have some collaboration with the learner. If you're trying to, that's the difference between the submission sort of tactic, this management where you're just saying, nope, I said it, you do it. And I'm corralling you over here. I'm, I'm going to keep you in this space until you do this thing, no matter what you're doing, we're going to finish this and then you can go. Uh, the difference between these kind of tactics is they will eventually learn, okay, I have to go over here because either way I'm going to be over here. Um, but what they lose is the ability to negotiate and the ability to also know that, I mean, and this is sort of a separate tangent, but um, the ability to know that also I am the person in control of these decisions and I'm actually the person in control of me. So mm-hmm. I can say no And what that just means for myself is all these other things change. So like, I wanted to go to recess. I want to go do these things. You've got to finish this stuff first. And the minute you get it done, great. We're out, you know, go, go to the playground. So let's talk about that for a second. Let's say that, um, you know, we've got a child that is in um, the, uh, on their way to lunch, right? And so how to um, something important before lunch. And maybe let's say it's something that's necessary, like taking your medicine, right? So you have to take your medicine before lunch because that, because that is a rule with the medicine that it's unhealthy to take the medicine, um, after lunch. And so we have to take our medicine. We have to go and then we'll have lunch. Um, and then we get recess. And if we're stuck in this three-step thing of medicine, lunch, recess, um, because we won't take the medicine, um, talk about some supports. Because I think a lot of people say, okay, well, that makes sense. But like, you've got to take your medicine. So I'm just going to 
cram the medicine down. I'm going to force yeah. you to how do we get past the no with the medicine? What supports do we need? And obviously, profile is different. I know, I know. I about to say, I was like, the, and, and medicine is really hard. There's a sort of a couple areas of safety in the medical that are difficult areas, difficult areas in terms of problem solving because they're safety concerns. Depending on, you know, let's say this is seizure medication. It's like, okay, you actually have to take this. Like there are certain things that, um, and luckily now I feel like there's so many different ways to crush medicine, Oreos, put it in a pudding cup, okay. you know, all this. Let's pretend it's not seizure medicine though, right? Because right. I, I think you raise a good point, but this is just something that like you should have. Maybe it's like singular and you might have a snoring okay. night of sleep, okay? So. okay. I, so so I think here too, part of it is the exploration of where's what's with the no. Is the no, and we can talk about the functions of behavioral analysis. We can talk about all of those, but some of this is actually also just, you know, being able to just say no and sort of be the person who owns that can also in itself be self-reinforcing. You know, I'm actually making this decision and no one else is able to, to do it for me. Um, so part of it is exploring what's going on with that. Is it just that you want to be able to say no? Is it is that what it is? So how do we help build within with this child the relationship of, um, you know, one, the value of the medicine, that's really hard to build, I'll be honest. A lot of times, like, you know, we try to do this in schools all the time, the value of doing work. Do you see how important that is? It's hard to build. So the value of medication to you, hard skill, but something still to, to teach. Partly, all some of this is, um, you know, and again, medication can be, can be funny, but <laughs> looking at the does it have to be right now? Is it because it's before lunch and recess? Like some of the time, so there's some antecedent sort of things we can look at are where can we manipulate here? Is it about what we're leaving and going to? Is that some of the issue? Is it the fact that we just really need to get to recess first and then after that we can stop by and it's not a big deal because actually if you stop by the nurse's office then you can be five minutes late to math. That might be really fun. You know, maybe there's other ways we can sort of toy with this. But then the actual no, the you're just saying no, I think that builds a lot of, you know, let's talk about the communication, the whys, the tell me more about that. Let's build in a little bit of this conversation, uh, assuming that that's part of what we can do in, in this child's program, of uh, figuring out a little more exploration of what's happening when you're saying no. Sometimes, I mean, I've even sort of, with certain kids, you sort of trick and be like, I'm not even going to ask you we're just going to go like, we're going to, I'm going to forget about the medication. So like you, so you remember, and then you're like, don't you remember? Because sometimes it is that back and forth arguing in itself is a powerful motivator for lots of people. So sometimes you're thinking about those pieces. Um, so there's the analysis of, okay, what are some of the functions of this? How can we sort of tweak the environment and manipulate it? I also think depending on how long skills have been going on and depending how serious it is, sometimes I'm also like, can we put some of this stuff in the parking lot so we can build other skills and think about other things? And then we'll come right back to this. Yeah. We focused on, let's say we focused on this medicine for eight months and there's been zero change. It's just been a battle the whole time. We need to think about what are we doing here? What, you know, now we've just established this huge pattern how can we de how can we sort of stop and detour 
And then we can circle back around once we have a little bit more skill and maybe part of it is great. Now you independently get to manage this. I'm so excited to see at the end of the day, when you go home, if you've taken that medication and then whatever, giving them that little bit of that control. Right. It depends on the kid. I think that's a really good point that sometimes we have to kind of leave things alone and let them happen. Um, I always tell people it's kind of like when you clean your closets, right? Like if we're going to change the way that we're supporting a child behaviorally and we're going to um, explore it in the way that you have described, um, it is maybe going to get a little bit messy before it gets to this ideal, calm, organized way. And our, um, our goal might not be calm, but our goal is that we are in a, um, a place where we can learn and we can interact with people and we can function. And so, and that's kind of the goal with the closet. My closet never gets there. Um, but you know, even if you're just changing out your closets from summer to winter, it's a mess for a day. And then you get it into whatever organization you want. And so, you know, sometimes I say to people, yeah, this is going to be, we have to kind of let the process happen and it might be messy for a second while um, the child adjusts to being respected in this. It will always be messy. There's not a situation where it is not messy. It will always be messy. It will always feel worse Um, I think the old way of doing sort of the old mindset of behavior, and I've alluded to this, you know, is very much focused on that behavior management piece. And so in that setting, it's, yeah, we're, it's messy, but we're getting to this idea of like, this is, this is the end game. This is what we want them to do. And they're doing it. Huzzah. You know, we've, we've made it sort of the new way of thinking about it is we still want to get to that end game. It's still going to be messy, but we're actually trying to make the mess. Uh, we're trying to make the mess a little bit more spread out. So we're doing smaller demands. We're doing smaller shifts, and it's not. You know, you might hear this and be like, "So you're just letting a child get away with it?" No, actually, what we're doing is we're letting a child explore an environment. We're get, we're building trust with them. We're letting them know that our job is not to force them into doing something. Our job is to teach them and we're gonna be able to do that together. Um, And then once they're feeling comfortable, you know, if a child comes up to me and they sit down at the table or we're working together and they just immediately, you know, say no and leave. Okay, thank you. Thank you for saying no. And we're gonna do that a few times. And eventually over time, they're gonna say no. And I'm gonna say, oh, can you just do one? Like, oh, can we do this fast? And then slowly, slowly build. So we still have that messiness, but what we don't have is the, we don't have the messiness at the expense of a child feeling respected and having autonomy. Because when we talk about transition into adulthood, and it's something you don't really think about when you're doing your intervention and elementary and everything like that. But but you should. Yes, but like you're, you know, you're talking about, you know, but you want them to be autonomous beings. You want them to feel like if someone's trying to grab and go with them, which I call the old school special education of, we're moving over to the bathroom, you know, <laughs> just grab and go. Like you, you want them to be able to say, no, I'm walking or, or 
get away from me or somehow kind of indicate I need you out of my space as something huge, I think, in adulthood. Um, and it doesn't mean, you know, everyone's allowed to do that. And I feel like it's so important to sort of incorporate this idea in our behavior programs because that is how we're going to build long lasting relationships and skills with students. Um, I don't even know where we started. That's so, well, but I, that's like a replacement behavior, but it's, it's like human behavior kind of thing. Like at some point you're going to have to um, know if, if this is a goal for the family and if this is a goal for the child and if the autonomy can be preserved while we're doing this, um, you know, if you have a job and um, everybody has to eat at the same time, then you're going to have to be able to transition at a specific time. And yeah. so um, if we're working towards that goal, we ostensibly have 22 years to get there, <laughs> which is doesn't have to be overnight. And sure, we can pick somebody up and move them. But by the time they're 15, we can't pick them up and move them anymore. And now they're 15 and we haven't taught them how to do that themselves. And so we have to respect them enough that they can figure it out intrinsically and they can do that. But I have a question because um, I thought your answer when I asked um, this kind of a different way before was going to involve um, what I would call behavior supports. So like maybe a picture schedule or a countdown yeah. time or something like that. We can still use those in this respectful way. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, what, what I'm saying about respectful, it, it's, it's no, it's, it's everything we know about behavior, uh, sort of behavioral strategies and tactics. The real difference is we're not focusing on behavior management. We're focusing on behavior instruction, which is the whole, uh, philosophy behind positive behavior supports and positive behavior support programming in schools and in, you know, transition programs, person-centered planning, the whole ideology there was to make it focus on building these positive skills with a learner. The focus is not on managing a child's behavior by imposing your sort of your own will and your own sort of uh, ideas of what needs to be happening here. You can use all of those interventions, all of those wonderful antecedent interventions we have, which um, might be picture schedules, which might be more incorporating more breaks. That might be something about, okay, the student does not respond to verbal prompts. Let's get down, let's do more gestural and, and visual or um, proximity prompting. You know, all of those tactics are really important. And we're still replacing those behaviors and teaching new skills. At some point, it's going to get messy because a kid's going to go to punch you and you're going to go to take their hand to, so they can say, leave, you know, and then you get up and go to teach them that connection. You know, that is going to be messy. So you are teaching those replacement skills. Well, the difference is, is that the focus is on that teaching. We know who's teaching it, when, how it's being introduced, how are progress monitoring it. We're always adapting the programming based on how the learner is responding, based on the expectations and values of the learner and their family. And what we're not doing is ever telling a kid, again, the respect your feet where no, um, like it's my way or the highway, essentially. This is just right. my way. Sometimes it will be my way and you're going to have to do some of the work I'm asking you to do. And I'm going to work on building your tolerance. You might have a tolerance for five seconds. So we're going to start at four seconds and then I'm going to get you to six and I'll get you to eight. I'm going to work with you and where your baseline is. The reality is, is that most programming now is behavior management. 
So they're putting in some of the strategies you describe, we're putting in token boards, we're putting in tape on the floors, we're putting in fidgets. Those aren't learning tools. I mean, those are gonna build a new behavior. Those might set the stage and cue a learner to do something, which is great, um, but they don't actually teach the new skill. And so if we're not teaching new skills and we're not teaching new skills sort of with the learner and watching them, then we're always, they're always gonna start engaging in these interfering behaviors. That, that's kind of the, the big piece. Right. I had um, somebody talking to me the other day about a teacher that was um, trying to stop a stimming behavior, a physical stimming behavior. And the parent was so upset by it. And I, you know, five or 10 years ago, I, and certainly when I was a teacher, I think I maybe would have um, thought, well, in some situations that might be okay. And now I'm like, oh my gosh, that's terrible. I can't imagine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've really evolved in that way. We have evolved. Um, yeah. And um, yeah, so I think that's a really, a really important thing to note. And I'm, I'm grateful that we are moving in this direction. Oh yeah, there's a difference now between, is it unsafe? Is it um, impeding your ability to be in other environments? You know, is, do you have behaviors that are impeding your ability to be with peers, to, to be able to transition independently? You know, those are things we're looking at. If it's just an annoying behavior or an odd behavior, you know, I don't, you know, if someone's just groaning all day, okay, it might be annoying, but it doesn't matter. I'm not changing it. I'm not spending my time doing that. Now, um, there are strategies, there's things we can try. You know, there's always some, some kind of ways to try to match that to see if we can reduce it, but I never prioritize those. I, I always put those at the bottom of my list. Yeah. It's funny. My, my son is picking up like minutia, fuzzes off of blankets and yeah. stuff, putting them in his hair. So his hair always is like impossible to brush, matted, disgusting. And it's so funny because my husband and I are having this like yin and yang discussion of like, well, you know we ought to let him, he's anxious. We ought to let him do this. And then like, but it looks terrible. And then, you know, it's like that you're constantly having all of these conversations. I want to ask one um, additional question and you hit on this at the beginning. Um, so, you know, you were talking about um, utilizing other skills and, and kind of tapping into, well, my question's about tapping into other supports that are available, right? So if we have a child whose behavior seems to be tied to some kind of sensory dysregulation or maybe some um, need for some feelings awareness, mm -hmm. um, you know, I would imagine that we might want to talk to an OT and there might be reason to bring in a speech therapist into yep. a support plan. So can you talk about how um, necessary it is to provide supports kind of from a global standpoint, particularly for kids with that um, stereotypical global developmental delay? Um, yeah, uh, uh, basically the interdisciplinary collaboration is essential. I just had a conversation yesterday with a speech pathologist and I said, hey, I'm, I'm you know, consulting on this kid. I'm consulting on this positive behavior support plan. I know you're the speech pathologist. We really need to chat. Can we please meet? Because the only way we can develop this plan is with you. Like we've got to, you know, I, whatever you're doing, I need to know, uh, you know, your scope of practice and my scope of practice. I think we need to combine for this. And she said, she's like, no one has ever asked me before to collaborate on this. And, um, it is, we are not islands. When one really dangerous part of education can be when we start to just pick apart a child to say, 
well, that's speech and language. That's just the, you know, that's just our speech pathologist. That's sensory. So that's just the, you know, the OT has to deal with that. That's academic. So the teacher deals with this. Um, that's, that's the behavioral. So the behavior analyst deals with that because all of them combine the skill deficits that I'm seeing as a behavior analyst always relate back to their communication and language to their the sensory situations the ot to their movement you know if you don't have cross-body movement you're in the middle of gym and then you suddenly sit down and go into a fetal position well so some of this is you know this is a lack of skill here that might be part of the issue you have pt and then of course the academic we cannot work alone and piece a kid apart so that each every person needs to work on their scope of practice but each one of those needs to inform the other. That's gonna be the comprehensive plan. What the OT is doing has to relate to what the speech is doing, has to relate to what the behavior analyst is doing, and all of that should be supported in the classroom under the academic goals as well. Yeah, when we piece a kid apart, we're, um, we're putting it on the other person. That's your job. You're the speech pathologist. That's your job. You're the behavior analyst. I get a lot of, you know, as a consultant, um, or working with families or anything, it's, it's um, well, that's just their behavior. <laughs> no, the behavior is a part of all of the skill deficits we're talking about. So uh, the collaboration has to happen. And in terms of how to make it happen, it's sort of figuring out who's the quarterback here in this. Sometimes it's, sometimes it is the consultant coming in and saying, hey, I've looked reviewed this. None of these things connect. Sometimes it's a special educator. But I think, you know, f figuring out how we get these teams together is really important. And I always encourage parents, you know, if you hear that, well, let's just, you know, we're, let's talk about the OT goal. Let's talk about the PT goal. Let's talk about this. Because that's how IEP meetings, you know, are set up. That's fine. But always really looking at, so then how is this OT sensory profile? How is that really relating to the classroom? How are we bringing those in? Um, and then how does that relate, as you put it, you know, someone's getting overwhelmed, dysregulated in class, how does that relate then to what we can bring to the classroom, how they can communicate, so the speech pathologist, and then of course when, if they continue to be dysregulated and they start then have interfering behaviors, then behavior analysts, how do we deal with that? So, but we need to have all those people in conversation. Yes. Okay. So you answered my follow-up question was what do parents do about it? And I agree with you entirely that they need to figure, they need to ask and collaborate with the team on how all of the components to the IEP and if we need to add more components to the IEP, how they all relate to one another. And if yes. it's behaviorally important, then um, it, whether or not we need to add more goals. Like if I've got a child that's dysregulated and is having lots of kind of discipline looking behavior, which is, you know, a whole nother topic um, and gets under my skin pretty quickly, um, then I want a pragmatic speech evaluation. I want to look at general speech and, um, oh, sorry. I, I want to <laughs> look at that functional speech and I want to see if the functional speech is um, is there, and if it isn't, then we need to build a goal for that. So maybe speech is only involved for articulation, but then behavior comes up and I'm like, oh, we need to look at functional speech, expressive speech, maybe it's a receptive thing. You know, Maybe we aren't even understanding the command or we understand the command, but it's a multi-step direction yeah, thing. Yeah, how, how is it being presented? And also with parents too, I think, in those meetings, so you know, when everyone's giving their little tidbit, everyone's going in saying, "Here's my goals. Here's how we're working on it." Blah blah. blah. And then we move on. 
um, it does require some savviness to then say, okay, so you've got 30 minutes a week with them that you're seeing them and this is the goal you're doing. All right, then turn to teacher or turn to other team members. So how are we working on it when you're not in OT? How do we work on this when you're on speech? I think a lot with um, you know, the, the behavior goals, all of that comes into play. And so really being able to talk about, so how in the classroom are you using their assistive technology? How are you using that device? You know, if the speech pathologist is working on goals like um, in and out, how are you working on that in the classroom? Are you opening the door and having them press out? You know, how are we really making sure that those are speaking to each other? Because it doesn't work, the, the kind of disparate approach to let's divide up the child build sort of these independent skills, but what we know it doesn't do is it does not increase generalization. So we, we need to be yeah. able to, to all converse. It, it requires a lot of savviness on the part of the parents, and I know that can be, um, it can be really frustrating because you're, they're already dealing with, I'm trying to understand this process in general, and now I have to sort of like question the experts, but it's not questioning, it's just ensuring how are these all merging together and being worked on. Yeah, it's collaborating. They're part of a team and that is what parents, that's one of the reasons why parents are on teams. Rachel, this has been so great. There's been so many times that I've been clapping in my soul. Um, <laughs> you speak my language and I'm so happy to have met you. Tell my listeners where they can find you. Sure. Um, behavior goals. So www.behaviorgoals.com. I don't know if we need to say www anymore, but I always do because every, <laughs> I guess, uh, yeah, that's where you can mainly find me. Um, yeah. And, you know, reach out if you have any questions, if you're listening to this and you're suddenly like, well, this is hitting a, a chord or striking a chord. Um, I'll say one last thing about behavior analysts. I think, you know, Behavior analysts can have a bad rap because some people, you know, have had bad experiences or, or they look at it as, oh, it's just focusing on interfering behavior. I think that um, behavior analysts and behavior analysis done right is all about building that respectful behavior program, building a program that really focuses on the individual and mainly on um, like building that collaborative trust and learning and just being um, an autonomous individual you know, in our society. So I think that there's a lot of ways that we're moving forward. I'm always happy to talk about it because I believe it's so important. And I really uh, believe so much in kind of preaching this idea of behavior instruction and moving from, you know, the old, old school mindset of just managing, controlling children. So <laughs> anytime you want to chat about it, I'm here. <laughs> Thank you so, so much. This has Thanks. been so helpful. Um, and we'll have to have you back sometime. Happy to be, be back anytime. Thank you so much.